This is a HeadGum Podcast. Craig, we're going to be talking about a mystery in this week's episode of our podcast. But you know what's not a mystery is who you go to if you need to make a great website. It's Squarespace. They're here. (laughs) I feel like I was going to need to solve that sentence. But (laughs) who can help me solve the internet? It's, I mean, Squarespace can also help you do that. They have tools to help you build a website, claim a domain, sell online, all that fun stuff. They give you world-class engineering and beautiful templates and powerful e-commerce tools that help you build a beautiful website, even if you don't know anything about how to make websites. So, you know, you don't need to solve the mystery of the HTML tag. You just need to let Squarespace do that work for you. <laughs> um, they have everything you need to create a beautiful and modern website. Uh, you have the ability to customize look and feel settings, products, and more with just a few clicks. Uh, websites are optimized for mobile. There's nothing to patch or upgrade ever. And you get 24-7 award-winning customer support if you do stumble upon any mysteries that need a solving. Ah. Specifically about your website that you're making. Yes. So if this sounds good to you, gumshoes, go to squarespace.com slash overdue for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash overdue for a free trial. Uh, Offer code overdue to save 10%. Squarespace. It's no mystery. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. Beer, beer, beer. Craig's moving tomorrow. So that's like last week our podcast had my son woke up at 4.30 in the morning energy. And this week we're going to have Craig is going to be going out of his mind telling people where to put boxes energy. Here's the thing. So okay, we're going to no, tell me the thing. We're going to talk about uh, the secret of the old clock. That's what it's called, right? The secret of the old yes. clock. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a Nancy Drew mystery. Nancy Drew mystery number one by Carolyn Keene or someone or is it? else. Yeah, it's we'll talk mystery. about that. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, I solved the mystery of moving so far by moving a lot of boxes myself. Because I haven't moved in a long time, and this is the first time that I've hired like movers, movers. Mm-hmm. And I'm also not going that far. I'm, <laughs> it I'm, is only a few blocks. I'm moving a few blocks. So I, I highly recommend. The one time that I moved and it was only a few blocks, it was one of the easiest, almost a pleasant move it compared was- to... Like a interstate move I've, or a halfway oh, across the country move. No, thank you. Where you're like calling your movers on your phone and they're vaguely threatening not to deliver your furniture if you don't tip oh, them. So I don't want it. So instead, I've done a lot of manual labor myself already, which hopefully just cuts down on the amount of time we need to pay these guys for. Mm-hmm. And also has alleviated some of my own anxiety about moving for the first time in six years. So, you know, did I solve the mystery or create more puzzles for myself later with all the boxes that I packed hastily <laughs> and didn't care about it because I figured I'd just open it in a few days? Yeah. Mm. 
check in on me next week. <laughs> I mean, I think uh, d- to to defend your system, and then we'll Thank talk you. about books, Please. which every week one of us reads a book and talks about it to the other person, and the person's never read the book before, and it's a fun literary discovery process for us and for you. Um, I find that if you move a bunch of boxes beforehand then what is left in your house is actually the number of boxes that you figured you would need to entirely fill up a whole moving truck. Mm. <laughs> because it's but like that last 10% of stuff easily takes as many boxes as the first 90%. <laughs> because you don't you're just like not aware of it. It's just hiding and it's weird shaped and you don't know all the space it's going to need. It's uh, I don't know. I throw out a lot of stuff when when we move, and we haven't done it in a while, which makes me scared of the amount Uh-oh. of stuff that we have. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to be doing some throwing out on the other side. But to get to that other side, we have to do a podcast first. I appreciate uh, how, pay the bo- movers. how both of us kind of like did the opening jibber-jabber, but also like left in little like clues to what how the episode works yeah like it's a it's a mystery it is that like the nancy drew series we are giving you a mystery and we've also done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these podcasts so this week's book is a different authors have been involved yep every time uh a patreon recommendation from megan thank you megan uh did megan have anything to Add sometimes. Yeah, Megan said, uh, Nancy Drew, how can you read Hardy Boys and not read Nancy Drew? Come on. Uh, We're doing it. We're doing it right now. (laughs) Many prominent and successful women cite Nancy Drew as an early formative influence. Sandra Day O'Connor, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Sonia Sotomayor, Oprah Winfrey, Barbara Walters, Beverly Sills, Hillary Rodham Clinton, former First Lady Laura Bush. There's an asterisk here, and Megan says the asterisk from the Oracle of All Knowledge Wikipedia. So just citing... Their sources there very helpful. Yeah, no, I was thinking I had also read that exact <laughs> list of women recently. <laughs> so, um, so we have read the Hardy Boys. You read the Hardy Boys many moons ago, Andrew. Yes. Um, tell me a little bit about Nancy Drew, her mysteries, Carolyn Keene, etc. So here's the thing about Carolyn Keene: she never existed. Ooh. <laughs> she wasn't real. She was a pseudonym under which a long list of authors and editors toiled for decades. <laughs> um, and they continue to publish different Nancy Drew series uh, under the Carolyn Keene pen name. But uh, the, the history of this goes way back to the early 20th century with this thing that we also talked about with the Hardy Boys books, the Stratemeyer Syndicate, which... <laughs> To call it that makes it sound very nefarious, and that's right because it does seem like it was kind of nefarious. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it, this guy, uh, Edward Stratemeyer, was an old-timey book tycoon, <laughs> and he and his descendants owned this company that pumped out about three trillion kid fiction books mm-hmm. um, from the at least the, the 20s and 30s up through when things started to kind of fall apart. So actually the um, the actual authorship of the original version of this book, which to my knowledge is the one you read, you didn't read the uh, late 50s uh, no. rewrite of the I, book. I, yes, I read the original. Uh, so this one was originally written by a woman named Mildred Benson, 
yeah. uh, based on outlines from Stratemeyer. Um, and though he conceived of and named the character, Benson was, you know, pretty solely responsible for like defining her and her uh, character traits. Um, she was outed, not outed. She, she acknowledged her authorship of the, of so many of these early Nancy Drew books. And like most of the first like 30 or 40 of them she wrote, she wrote I think it was like 23 um, of 30 or something. Yeah. Like, pretty good hit rate. Yeah. And, and the only reason she didn't write some of those in between is because the great depression happened and <laughs> the syndicate was not paying, would not pay her rate. And so they had sure. some, this is the only other Nancy Drew author I wanted to talk about for the, for these books. Uh, I think it was uh, like eight, nine and 10 or, or somewhere in there. They just brought in this dude. His name <laughs> was Walter Kerrig. And in his Nancy Drew books, uh, there is apparently, and I could not independently verify this because I didn't go to read the original books, but this did just strike me pretty funny. In one of these books, there is a detailed depiction of a of a like a college football game, <laughs> and Nancy also is way more like preoccupied with clothes and and shopping and stuff sure. than she normally is. Of course, so that's fun. That's okay. fun for everybody. Way to mix um, it up. <laughs> uh so uh let's talk about Benson. So yeah. she is these days we because of this this testimony she gave in the 80s she is uh acknowledged as the you know as the originator of Nancy Drew and many of the in many of the character traits that are still with the character now. Um she was she would autograph Nancy Drew novels if you asked her but only the ones that she actually did. Like a boss, of course. Uh she was born in 1905, died in 2002. Um and the she wrote the original version of The Secret of the Old Clock back in 1930. She was the first student and noted not the first like woman student, she was the first student to earn a master's degree in journalism from the University of Iowa. Wow. Uh, where she had previously obtained an English degree. And she worked as a journalist for almost 60 years at the uh, Toledo Blade. All newspapers can suck it. The Toledo Blade Toledo has the Blade. best name. It's got a good name. It's the best um, name. They're cutting through the crap. They're, they're, cut, they're cutting to the point. Yeah, maybe if newspapers had cooler names, people would trust the mainstream the media kansas more. city katana like yeah, let's like go the, <laughs> like the detroit knife the philadelphia flip blade is that no it's a switchblade switch dang it <laughs> uh and in addition to all the work that she did under the keen pen name for the stratemeyers she also wrote uh for them under pseudonyms including francis k judd uh joan clark alice b emerson and Julia K. Duncan. Yep. Uh, and then all, under her own name, she wrote books in the Penny Parker series. So maybe okay. we can, maybe if we're going to revisit another one of these series, I don't know who Penny Parker is, but she's got a nice name. And <laughs> the author of her books was allowed to say that she was the author of their book. So, yes, like, I believe um, what, like, I think her typewriter, um, Benson's typewriter is in the Smithsonian now. Um, somewhere in the 80s where it was like recognized after some other letters had been leaked. Um, do you want to talk about the the revisions, Andrew? Or like, I don't know. I So I don't know a ton of, of exactly what was uh, revised. I know that... Um, so th this book in particular was 
uh, revised in 1959 by Harriet Stratemeyer Adams. Um, Stratemeyer's daughter, I believe. Yeah, and yeah. she she didn't revise all of them, but like most of the early, like the original run Nancy Drew books, like through um, the 34th one, I think were uh, revised in starting in the late fifties and going through the mid seventies um, starting in the, in the late fifties when, you know, when this happened, uh, Harriet Stratemeyer Adams was also just like writing the writing new Nancy Drew books. During okay. This time. So she was writing new stuff, going back and revising old stuff. And there was a lot of different uh, authors who revised the old I stuff. I do know these were coming down. The changes were initiated from the publishers, uh, Grosset and Dunlap. So like mm-hmm. they, they wanted some changes. They thought that this Nancy Drew character was like a little too plucky, a little Just too a little too rambunctious. And yeah, my understanding is that Nancy has a bit of an eat the rich mindset in some of the original Especially books. Especially in this book, for yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I can't wait to talk about that. But that was toned down. Um, the directive was apparently to make Nancy quote more sugar and less spice. Yeah. Um, sure. And so, and so in this book, and I imagine others, she is uh, pretty gung ho about uh, taking snooty high society types down a peg, in a <laughs> yeah. way that is softened. Uh, action sequences are spiced up in the rewrites, and they also omit some uh, racist character depictions. Apparently, I don't yeah. know if you ran into any of I that stuff. Definitely but, uh, did. But this is, you know, this is they were just canceling Mildred Benson. Back in yeah. the 50s, they were canceling her. I it can't also, believe that exactly the same thing that happened to Nancy Drew without incident in 1959 is now a thing that we have to like talk about yeah. if we're talking about Congress. That's weird, huh? We'll, we'll talk about this when we talk about this story in particular, but I think the, so the, like, the macro level thing you might want to take away from how those characters and stereotypes were excised is that they weren't like it is my understanding that in many cases those characters were just straight up removed from stories as opposed to like rewritten with a better understanding of humanity let's say Mm -hmm. or like let's not just lean on uh racist stereotypes let's like sometimes sometimes it is it is better to pull down the statue than it is to put like a rainbow vest on it that's fair no (laughs) if you but if you're gonna rewrite these books and some of them it seems like from the ground up anyway like use your imaginations um and then there were also just other like because these were written by so many people originally and because i don't think when they started out they knew exactly where everything was gonna go they're like you know, there are characters who are written out of the series later who are given like a smoother off ramp instead of oh, just sure. disappearing with no comment. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There are just some other like continuity ish kind of things happening as well. Well, some, some of this will make more sense after we've talked about the book. So let's uh, take a quick break and then I'll help you solve this. Well, I, I don't know if I'm going to help you solve a mystery, but I'm going to tell you some secrets. Okay. I love secrets. Like I just said before the break, I love secrets, but mm. you know what's not a secret is our second sponsor this week, and Craig's <laughs> going to tell you all about them. Yes. Uh, this uh, week's show is also brought to you by Chronicle Books. Andrew, 
Um, what is a greater mystery than buying a gift? Sometimes it's like gift giving <laughs> can be tough. I mean, often when I sit down to buy a gift for someone, it is a mystery where I have none of the clues and no leads, but I do have to figure it out or I'm going to be a bad husband or father or friend. Yes. Well, Andrew, I don't want that to happen to you and I don't want that to happen to any of our listeners. If you're in the need for a great gift, you know, Father's Day is right around the corner. I want to tell you about Chronicle Books. They produce uh, such a wide array of books, games, journals, and puzzles that I know you'll find something for anyone on your list, whether it's me, whether it's Andrew, whether it's yourself. You know, anyone. (laughs) There's... Uh, they've got Dolly Parton's Storyteller. They've got a series called I Know This to Be True, which is like a collection of notable people uh, answering the same questions and sharing stories. You know, the aforementioned Ruth Bader Ginsburg we were talking about, Simone Biles, Gloria Steinem are in that series. They've got books on architecture and design. They've got uh, cool editions of classic stories and, and collections of tales. Andrew, they've even got Snoop Dogg's Cookbook, From Crook to Cook, Platinum Recipes from the Boss Dog's Kitchen. Wow, <laughs> that's a lot of information you just. Gave I just me. wanted you to know. Uh, just gonna add, just gonna add that to the old overdue reading list. Uh huh. Snoop Dogg <laughs> book. Okay. Chronicle books are sold not just in bookstores. You'll find their books on store shelves of all kinds all over the world and at chroniclebooks.com. Once you start looking for Chronicle Books, you can't miss them. Chronicle Books are available anywhere books are sold, but if you go to chroniclebooks.com, you'll get 20% off when you enter promo code OVERDUE at checkout. Solve the mystery of gift giving and go to chroniclebooks.com. Andrew, I have a secret to tell you, and it's about an old clock. That's funny because that's the name of the book that you read, right? Yeah. So this series is called the it's the Nancy Drew Mysteries, and I could you just tell me what you think a mystery is? A mystery is when you don't know something and you want to find out. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Okay. And you've got to care enough to want to find out. Like, there's yes. a lot of stuff I don't know that I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to find out. And those the aren't those aren't mysteries. Doesn't like me is what that's <laughs> that's not a mystery. That's just a thing I don't know. But a mystery is something I want to know that I don't know. Okay, and it does imply some effort on my part to figure out okay. how to, how to know the thing that I don't know. So you know? I was prepared to come into this episode kind of bagging on whether or not this was a mystery. The definition you've given me supports the fact that some might. That this might be a mystery story. I, so I just, what is your, what rate what rises to the like, level of mystery in well, old Craig's mind? I just feel like there's not a lot of clues in, <laughs> in this book. Let me tell you the opening scene. Under my definition, if I don't know like when Ross Perot was born and I go to Wikipedia to look up when his birthday was. That there's that gap in between when yeah. I have the thought and when I find out the thing. That's a mystery. That's technically a mystery. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very inclusive definition of mystery, I think. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. So the opening scene of this book, 
Um, Nancy Drew, a pretty girl of 16, leaned over the library table and addressed her father, who sat reading a newspaper by the study lamp. Um, she had yelled something about uh, some characters before. Uh, Carson Drew, a noted criminal and mystery case lawyer, known for known far and wide for his work as a former district attorney, uh, looked up from his evening paper and smiled indulgently upon his only daughter. Nancy is upset because this family, the Toppums, are going to be the sole heirs of the late Josiah Crowley's fortune. Aren't those the, isn't the little, uh, the little guy from Shining Time Station, isn't he a Topham? I don't know. Sir Topham Hat. Is that, can you check that real quick so that yeah, I can, I so. we can make this connection for everyone? I think Sir Topham, yeah, Sir Topham Hat. Is that real? Yeah, Sir Topham Hat's the little, uh, the little aristocrat from the Shining Time Station. All right then, interesting, okay. <laughs> so Nancy is upset because, and apparently everyone in the town of River Heights where this takes place um, is aware of this situation. The Toppums uh, had wormed their way into Josiah Crowley's uh, good graces by inviting him into their home about three years ago when he, I guess, needed somewhere to go. I don't really know. He was getting older, and they kind of treated him like dirt before then. Or didn't treat him at all. And then they started treating him like a prince. And then he moved in with them. And then after he didn't die soon enough, I guess, uh, they started treating him like dirt again. And as Nancy describes the family, the father Richard is an old skinflint who makes money on the stock exchange. Uh, The wife Cora is nothing but a vapid social climber. And the girls are the two daughters, Ada... And another one that we don't like. I don't remember her name. Um, (laughs) They are stuck-up creatures. Quote, if they fall heir to any more money, this town won't be big enough to hold them. And she is just ranting and raving about how bad it would be if these people, that these girls she knows from school, if they got any richer. Mm -hmm. Just, I, I can't bear it, Nancy says. And this whole opening scene is the crux of the central mystery, and it, this is why I'm not sure it was a mystery at first. Nancy okay. asks out loud of her dad, hey, do you think Josiah maybe had a different will? Because <laughs> these people suck, and if he actually knew them like the way that all of us tangentially know them, he probably wouldn't have like let that, will, that first will stand. Wait, so there's no indication that there is a mystery except that nancy thinks that it would be better if it had happened a different way nancy thinks yeah (laughs) nancy's pretty sure that this guy josiah crowley who everybody kind of knew of and thought was a good dude would probably not have let that misguided first will stand I, guess, I mean, I guess that's the genesis of a lot of mysteries is somebody hearing something and thinking that the facts don't add up. At this point in the book, though, we haven't seen her hear anything. She's just kind of vibing and like riffing on her own like thoughts about what should happen to these topums. Conspiracy theory YouTubers. A little bit. Of. Yes. <laughs> and her dad is like, you know, I mean, he was kind of a strange guy. He might have written a second will, but like. What are we supposed to do about it? Like, we don't know. Are we supposed to look in an old clock and find... <laughs> is that and what, wait, is that where the will is? is wait, it an old clock? Just wait a second, okay? Okay, sorry, and you haven't told me the secret of the old clock yet. There's, so um, 
And she's like, well, okay, here are the questions she asked. If if he did make a will, where would he hide it? And if he did oh, hide God. it, would the Toppums have access to it? And there's Only no if other in the old clock. <laughs> there's no other uh, there's no way for the relatives, the other relatives of Crowley to contest the current will because they're all too poor to pay the legal fees to do such a thing. And the will sure. is is pretty iron tight anyway. Um, ironclad, excuse me. Um, <laughs> it wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't really get anywhere. They'd waste a bunch of money that they don't even have. Um, who else would get this money if there was a second will? Uh, some other relatives, maybe, that are better people. Her dad mentions these two girls that, uh, they're like, they're one of them's Nancy's age and one of them's like a few years older. She's 16. Um, and they used to live next door to Crowley when their parents were alive, and he was always very nice to them. And so people might expect that they would get some of the money. And Nancy and her dad sort of have... I was reminded of Encyclopedia Brown, Andrew. Not that her mm-hmm. dad's a cop. He's a, he's a lawyer. Well, he was a top cop. He was a district attorney. Excuse me. Um, but he is just a practicing lawyer now. But he does like let her in on cases sometimes and uh, like lets her into his confidence and lets her talk through things. And uh, he's kind of like riffing with her and he's like, well, maybe I shouldn't tell you this, but I do know a guy, another lawyer, Henry Ralstead, who I once saw in a place with Josiah Crowley. (laughs) Okay. I, I once saw them together. This is highly circumstantial evidence, and I don't think it would hold up in court so and far. Nancy's immediate response is, not the attorney who specializes in wills and legal documents. And I mean, like, every, listen, listen, you sound incredulous, but every 16-year-old knows the attorney who specializes in wills and legal documents. Are you kidding? And she's like, Dad, you got to set up a lunch with him. We got to meet this guy. We got to talk about Crowley and whether or not he has another will. And she and her dad's like, apple my eye. Let's do it. This, let's solve this mystery, baby. This brings up another quick like Nancy revision fact yeah. that I found while I was researching is that she was aged up from 16 to 18 at some point. So mm. she wouldn't have to ask her dad all the time to like set up meetings with well, interview subjects. Yeah. It's kind of interesting because she doesn't ask her dad for a lot of permission in this book already, but maybe the fact that she's doing things on her own would unsettle some people in the fifties, the youths. You know, and maybe they just want her to be able to like smoke cigarettes or they might something. be rebels without causes. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, we get lots of she is, regardless of how old she is, and, and it, certainly in this version, she's a bit of a super girl. She is very competent, and the book she's takes like a, it, when you say is she like a Pippi Longstocking style supergirl, or is she just like very competent? She, well, I would say she's like in between, she doesn't have super strength, but she does have like kind of protagonist armor Mm -hmm. and she does she's just good at everything and the book takes pains to tell you this so when it's telling you about her like telling her their like housekeeper that she's going to be going out for the day it says the responsibility of the household might have weighed heavily upon nancy but she was the type of girl who was capable of accomplishing a great many things in a comparatively short length of time she enjoyed sports of all kinds and she found time for clubs and parties okay (laughs) great I mean, I, I I do think 
like we talked a little bit about the the impact that this this yeah. book had on has had on women and that sort of thing would be table stakes for like a an intrepid boy detective who you know he was all skin knees and, and magnifying glasses like he was, yes yes he's just able to go out and do his own thing and be Sherlock Holmes and around and you know boys will be boys whatever to to have a girl who also is allowed to do those things feels pretty subversive for like 1930 especially and it can yeah it can still be depending on the depiction pretty subversive now yeah i think it's what to me struck me funny about that paragraph is just that the book is like yo she's good at stuff like it's not <laughs> there are other parts of the book where it demonstrates her determination or her skill or whatever and this is just a part where the author whoever whoever it was the author is just like yo she's just good she's good at it get mm-hmm. ready mm-hmm. um like later andrew <laughs> this uh when she's walking after after she goes to the luncheon nancy left the house and made her way toward the business section of river heights the walk was a long one but she took it at a brisk pace Na- nancy naturally was athletic and as she swung along more than one passerby turned to look after her in admiration like, look how good look, that girl is at walking. Look, look at that walk. That's She's quite a stride. A good walk. And it doesn't linger. It doesn't get, like, weird. It's just like, yo, she's athletic and good at walking. Um, <laughs> contrast I think that, that. I think that rules, actually. It's kind of fun. Contrast <laughs> that with some, with some perfunctory language that shows up sometimes. So she has to go to this. She's going to lunch with her dad and the noted, the noted Will's lawyer, Henry Ralstead. And she just goes to the department store first. She's got to get some shopping done. She's got to get a dress for a party she's going to later. Entering a department store, she made a number of small purchases on the main floor and then went directly to the wearing apparel section as it was her intention to purchase a frock suitable for the afternoon party to which she had been invited. It just, it, sometimes there is like, I don't know, kind of blunt like, and then she did some stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. Entries, which I don't know. It I can't tell if it's a product of its time, a product of the hey, like I'm picturing Stratemeyer chomping on a cigar, going, just get the book out, like just don't worry about it. Just say she went somewhere and did some stuff. Yeah, and I also wonder if some of this wasn't what was uh, tightened up a little bit in the in the rewrite, possibly too. In fact, like I almost wish that we had. Like I had read the, the other one, maybe right, and and you had read. Okay, that's an just put a put a put a uh, bookmark in that one. Okay, so to speak. We don't say that phrase enough. Hmm, interesting. Uh, yeah, we but should then, have more catchphrases that you could like put on t-shirts. And but stuff. then you get like rad <laughs> to contrast that perfunctory language with some really like oddly purple stuff. She is driving a car on an errand for purple her dad stuff. later in the book. And it's she's like enjoying the view that she's driving through because uh, Benson was like born and raised in Iowa. I'm not sure if River Heights is supposed to be in Iowa. It is supposed to be in the Midwest. Um, like a true daughter of the Middle West, Nancy Drew took pride in the fertility of her state and saw beauty in a crop of waving green corn as well as in the rolling hills and the expanse of prairie land. Like all. You can hear like America songs playing in the background. Just love a girl with a with a real strong stride who's thinking about corn. <laughs> she's 
She's like got the top down, born in the USA, is playing in the roadster that her dad bought her that she owns. Mm -hmm. Of course, you know what? The fuel in that car. All ethanol, baby. (laughs) (laughs) So before she gets to the lunch with her dad, she's in the department store and she sees ah, Ada and Isabel Topham. That's her name. And these mean girls are being mean to service people. And they are they're they hate to wait, and they're telling the customer service person that their dad owns stock in this store. Not that he owns the store, but that he owns stock in it. You don't make us wait. And uh, Nancy's just observing this, like muttering to herself about how terrible it would be if these people inherited any of Josiah Crowley's money. And the the saleswoman comes up and it's like, Nancy, thanks for waiting. Those girls really suck. And she, Nancy's like, yeah, it really do. And the saleswoman's like, yeah, can you believe that they're going to get all that money? And just starts gossiping about everyone in town that Nancy yes. encounters. Yes. The, I've seen some footage of some of the Nancy Drew, like, uh, computer, like the PC games, the and it's a lot of adventure game stuff. And yes, everyone is in on the central question of the story. Everyone has an opinion about it. Yes, of course it's they great. do. Uh, Otherwise, why would they be people who you could yes, talk to in the video game? Correct. Um, she makes it to the lunch with her dad. The Rolstead guy's like, yes, well, I don't know if there is a second will. But there was that one time where he was like, where, he, where Josiah Crowley asked me, if I were gonna write a second will, mm-hmm. what should I do? Uh huh. And then Rawlstead's like, and then I never saw him again. <laughs> <laughs> so Nancy's like, huh? Maybe there is a second will, and I'd have to find it. She does at one point say, when she's like trying to work herself up to continue with the mystery, Andrew, she says, "Where there's a will, there's a way." And then she takes off her sunglasses, CSI Miami style. <laughs> That's excellent. I'm glad that she said that. I'm glad she said that. And I hope that Mildred Benson was very happy with herself when she wrote that. (laughs) Um, The next phase of the book is her encountering people who stand to benefit from this will. You can see, Andrew, that like the central mystery Mm -hmm. is not necessarily like who has the will, what what is specifically in it it's just like i think is there's there a will, will? yeah <laughs> and i'm just gonna talk to enough people until i have located it and she doesn't like it's not like solving puzzles no one stole it and is keeping it um over the course of the book she kind of just like zeroes in on where it is by brute forcing her way through dialogue options with people um <laughs> She goes on an errand for her dad. He's like, hey, can you deliver these legal documents for me to a town 15 miles away? And she's like, sure, Classic side quest stuff. (laughs) She's got 100% the old clock mystery. So, yeah, I will take these documents Well, this does advance the central story because she spends too long on this errand having lunch with a chatty judge and ignoring the weather report. And on her drive back, it gets way too rainy. I was thinking about how, like... Driving in the rain is scary, right? In a bad rainstorm, it can be pretty scary. Oh, yeah. I was the worst rainstorm I ever drove through. I was driving back from D.C. to Ohio with a couple of our friends in one of my crappier cars. I don't know if it was the crappiest (laughs) one, but it was one of the one of the crappy ones. 
And yeah, we were driving on a, on a highway and it just gets like, can't see anything rainy lightning strikes uh-huh. a billboard on the, on the side of the highway, oh like God. next to where we're driving. It's what it's a, it was a pull over and wait for it to yes. slacken off. Yes. Rainstorm. Nancy's in one of those. And like the model T's only been around for 20 years. Like there's something in my brain as I was reading this sequence that like this kind of would be extra scary for like it's 1930. People yeah. have been driving, but it's still like a generation old of like consumer level cars. And you still and you still probably got those like old timey cars with the really skinny like bicycle wheels yes. on them. Like I don't think these cars are built to really take a take a, a take punishment. No, thankfully she doesn't it crash or anything, but she, she does wind up taking shelter in this barn that happens to be the home of Grace and Allie Horner. So contrasting the evil mean girl Topham girls, um, we have Grace and Allie, who I mentioned earlier, they their parents have passed away. I think they're like 16 and 18 or 16 and 19, and they live on this farm by themselves, and they don't really have any money. They do odd jobs and sell eggs and stuff like chicken (laughs) eggs. Uh, They raise chickens. Um, Can I, can I put that bookshelf together for you? And also, do you need any eggs? (laughs) They're just trying to get by. And Nancy is just hanging out with them. They're being really nice to her. And she knows that they won't like take money for anything. So she plans to like hire Grace to make a dress for her at some point. Um, they mention that they have a painting from their uncle Josiah, and Nancy's like, "What? The same one that this book is about?" And they, she finds out that these are the ones who Josiah was their neighbor. He was really nice to them. Um, so her dad's like, "Hey, why don't you invite them over? I'll ask them a few questions. Maybe they can tell us something that will lead us to the will." Andrew. <laughs> This book does something like this like three different times. Mm-hmm. Someone just starts asking somebody questions. And dad is like, okay, uh, was do you, your uncle Josiah, was he weird? And Grace is like, yeah, he was weird. He's like, did he ever hide stuff? Like, yeah, he always talked about hiding stuff in a secret place, he had called it. A safe place. Well, did he ever talk about hiding a will? And Grace is like, I don't really remember. And then Allie goes, yes, I do remember. All of a sudden now. And why didn't I mention this 20 pages before? Quote, I guess they'll, he said, I guess they'll be fooled all right when they find out I've made another will. (laughs) (laughs) This is, this isn't quite what bothers me about the, uh, the Dan Brown books that we've read where yeah, sure. where every mystery is solved by the characters just like sitting around and thinking hard enough until they have <laughs> stumbled upon the exact facts that they needed. This is like a, a, a slightly externalized version of that where you don't. Yeah. Nancy isn't doing a lot of work. She is just like happenstancing her way into clues that not even clues just like people saying oh yeah that thing that you thought that might be true it is true and i heard somebody say that it was true yes and what she she's not doing a lot of deduction of um 
there's not a lot of like fronts. There's not a lot of liars. There's not a lot of deceit. Like I'm thinking back to the to any of the Holmes stories that I've read, and there's usually like someone is keeping something secret, and Holmes has to like catch them in a lie or or something like that. Yeah, That's I was not gonna say like it's 1930. Did we have had they invented lying yet? Yeah, probably. Okay. Right. Well, yeah. wait. Had, I mean, in, in the states, in the states, in the colonies. Did, when did Wall Street crash? That was in Wall Street lays an egg. <laughs> Wall Street lays an egg. That happened in 1929. So they had just they invented just invented lying. lying. It's the true. year before. Yeah, uh, Mildred Benson writing current events and her mysteries. Um, so what she's actually what Nan- the work that Nancy is doing is tracking down these leads. Always asking a follow-up question, being willing to drive many miles or spend hours in a boat that doesn't work until she can find her way home. This like, does sound really hard, she, honestly. She does do work throughout the book, but yeah, like it is not what I... I don't know what type of mystery I was expecting, but there was not as much like deduction as much as, I think this is right, I just have to be present and be observant to listen for the right thing or talk someone into saying the right thing. Yeah. I guess it sounds like it it is. Nancy is starting not necessarily from clues or from mysteries, but from preconceived notions that then turn out to be correct. Hunches. Yeah. Yeah. Uh You know, at this point um, she does re-encounter the Topham girls because um, she's like, okay, there is a will, but I don't know what to do. And sh- she's kind of frustrated. And her dad's like, you know what always clears your mind, Nancy? Why don't you go shopping? And she's like, okay, I'll go shopping. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Listen, uh, as part of my moving anxiety today, I bought some wood to build a garden planter. That I understand what retail therapy is. It's real. No, I get it. Like, I had a really bad couple of weeks, and now all of a sudden I have another <laughs> mechanical keyboard coming. So... <laughs> You know, I've been there. She uh, she sees the Topham girls at the department store again. They're being jerks some more. She watches one of them accidentally break a $50 vase and try to blame it on the salesperson. And the manager is going to make the salesperson pays for it before Nancy steps forward and says, Aha, I saw this happen. Yeah, get him, Nancy. And the Topham girls huff and, and walk away. And Nancy says to herself, it makes my blood fairly boil every time I think of Ada and Isabel Topham getting all of the Crowley fortune. Especially when Grace and Allie Horner need the money so badly. So she is like, at this point, personally invested in knocking these girls down and elevating the Horner sisters. That's what she's that, here to do. I mean, that's that's justice, though. Like... Yes. In a larger sense. I, I did see a, a, a comment from a writer, what is her name, um, about Nancy Drew and like critiquing the character a little bit. It was Bobby Ann Mason um, said that uh, Nancy Drew is able to be as perfect as she is because she is free, white, and 16, which is... She and she does have the resources of her father's money. She's not like spending her summer off from school working or something like that. Like she she is she is talented and she is intelligent and she's driven, but she certainly does have the 
the leisure time. Yeah, to, sure. You know, go off and do this in, in a way yeah. that, like, when we were talking about, um, what's his name, Mister Whimsy, last week, like the aristocrat who doesn't have a care in the world, so he can go off and like solve mysteries for fun. Mm-hmm. Sure, something like that. Um, so okay, so now she overhears the Toppums aware that maybe there's a second will out there. Okay, so she can rule out that the Toppums are, like, keeping a second will secret. They're worried about it, but they don't know anything about it. Okay. So Have they checked the old, have they checked the old clock yet? Still they, waiting to hear about the old clock. Okay, we're going to get there. She talks to the Horners, and she's like, hey, is anybody else going to benefit from this new will? Can I talk to them? Because Google doesn't exist, so she can't just look up who's related to Josiah Crowley. So the Horners are like, oh, go check out these cousins. Go check out these... Uh, these nephews, dead ends. They don't got anything. Go check out old Abigail Rowan. Quote, Abigail is old and feeble now. She must be more than 70 years of age. And there's no one to look after her. Which, I don't know, I think about a lot of the late 60s, early 70s folks I do know. They're not all old and feeble. But that's a sign of the times, I suppose. (laughs) I mean, it's worth, what, Mildred... uh Benson lived to be ninety six or ninety seven, ninety six or ninety seven. So, yeah, Hmm. Uh, I don't know what I I don't know where I'm going with this, but (laughs) I was just struck by like that doesn't to me that age doesn't isn't like old age anymore. It was when I was younger. It I mean it it honestly depends. Like it does it does when I think about like Susanna's grandparents at that. Mm. age versus my own grandparents at that age like it is pretty different and i'm not sure if that's like a, a function of geography or or yeah i, I don't know but what? like yeah, yeah. but it it does it does depend a lot like you, you can have a very wide range of outcomes at 70 that is not true of a person at like 25 yeah that's fair that's a good point yeah um the she goes and she visits abigail She's very nice to Abigail. Abigail recently like fell and hurt her ankle and thinks she broke her hip, but she didn't. And Nancy takes time to care for her and make her feel better. And then she just starts badgering her with questions about the will, like mm-hmm. you do. And Abigail says she saw it once. She didn't read it, but Josiah was waving it around saying and it just said like second will really big on it he, like how what, he could have been waving around anything she remembers that he said this is my new will that's gonna leave the topoms out of it basically i see it's it's a good thing that he vocalized all of this yeah. the secret stuff that he was doing and uh abigail doesn't know where it is or or what was happening with it and nancy um is like still ask her questions. A clock goes off in the room. Mm-hmm. Abigail instantly stares at the clock and goes, "Huh, oh, clock. I don't know what that's about. Why am I thinking about a clock?" Mm-hmm. This is a direct quote. Nancy had studied psychology in school and was familiar with the power of suggestion and association. Now her keen mind jumped to the conclusion that a clock had something to do with the missing Crowley will. <laughs> Could it be? That the notebook, which Abigail had mentioned that maybe there was some sort of notebook, had been hidden in the clock. So maybe not the will, but a notebook about the will, which is just as important. Okay. So now she's got to go find this clock. She rules out whether or not the clock is at the Topham's. It's not there. It's actually in their 
bungalow at Moon Lake. Of course they have a bungalow next to something called Moon Lake. Yes, and uh, Nancy's friend Helen is up at Moon Lake for the summer at a summer camp, so she goes to visit Helen, who's like, oh, cool, you came to visit me at camp. And Nancy's like, yeah, I don't want to do any camp stuff. Can you tell me where the Topham bungalow is? I got Mm -hmm. business. And this is where we get this story where she is like on this boat, there's, I, I was rereading it to figure out what if I'd missed anything. No, Andrew, she gets in a boat to try to get there during the day, and the boat just stops working for several hours, mm-hmm. and she runs out of time and has to go back. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's the whole section. But upon rereading, I was like, oh, it's showing us that like Nancy's not going to give up. It's raising the stakes because now she's concerned that the Toppums are going to find the will in the old clock at some point. It's, it's making the reader th- think about boat maintenance. It is. Like, do they have anything that they need to do their, it to is. their boat to make sure that it's running properly? That's yeah, true. So she goes to Helen. She's like, hey, I'm not going to stay at your stupid camp anymore. I got business. And Helen's like, that's cool. Bye. And she drives to this bungalow that is supposed to be taken care of by a guy named Jeff Tucker. Jeff is nowhere to be seen. And the place looks robbed, looks gone over. And this we get like a whole other action sequence grafted onto the book at this point. We haven't heard from the Toppums in many pages. We will not hear from them again until the denouement. At this point, it is a book about Nancy in an abandoned bungalow. And some mean robbers who show up, who catch her there while they were mid-robbing, and they lock her in a closet, and then continue robbing, and then they leave. It's more of a survival horror book at this point. It it gets pretty survival horror-y. She is plucky. She is trying to escape the closet. She is using a like a clothes hanging rod to like try and like pry the hinges off. And just as she's about to get out, uh, Jeff Tucker does show up. Um, Jeff Tucker is the only non-white character in the book. He's the only black character in the book. Oh, good. I'm sure the depiction of him is super flattering and nuanced. It's not great. He definitely speaks in a very stereotypical, like, patois, like, pigeon English kind of thing that sucks. Um, And he is... What is his story? So he was taking care of the house, and then a white man in a sedan rolled up and was like, "Hey, want to have a good time? Like, I'll buy you some drinks. Let's get you out of here. You look bored of this job that you hate." And it's one of the robbers, and they lock him in a hotel room and take his keys, and then they use that to to rob the house. Okay, and like he. He's a fine character. Nancy's kind of mean to him. Nancy's like, hey, you left your post. Like, this, you shouldn't have gone with that man. And so, I don't know what you're complaining about. And also, he's like still kind of hungover and drunk. And she's judging him for that, even though he was taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. Um, and when there's like a little beat where she's like, okay, now that you got me out of this closet... Uh, we're going to go find some cops and they're going to help us catch these robbers. And he's like, hey, could you not drive so fast because I get pulled over like when I'm driving all the time and I always get in trouble. And her response to that is, oh, so then you must know where the jail is. 
Huh. 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 I wonder why she would think, hmm. All right. There's a lot to unpack there. There's a lot to unpack, and the book doesn't Actually, do there's any really of it. only the one no. thing. No. <laughs> really, and the book is not interested. There's the one in thing that. to unpack, and it's already out of the box. And yeah. yeah. So I can see why you might revise that out of the book. I think if you were maybe not revising it in 1959, but if you were revising it maybe decades hence, you could, you, you might have some real world events that authors might be more interested in tackling. I don't know that Harriet Which Adams like, was interested in tackling it at the time. Ima- for these for these revisions, imagine being too racist for 1959. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. Well, and you can even, you can see the, the like, there's a way that you could just nudge this into a direction where maybe it just said something and then you moved back onto the story, but instead you like, didn't. I'm just, I'm, I am, and, and maybe there's a very good reason for this that I don't know because I haven't done enough research. I'm just, for something to be bad enough that it gets flagged by a white New Jersey book heiress in yeah. 1959. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I mean, good for you, I guess, Harry Adams. We we haven't read the your version of the book, so maybe you don't fix this. I don't know. I but don't know. The there's a whole cops chasing the robbers sequence. Nancy finds them in a bar getting drunk. She has to like go on a different path because the there's a fork in the road. She doesn't know which way they went. Um the main takeaway, and apparently this is revised uh in the later edition. She does find their van, finds the clock, and takes it and puts it in her car and never tells the cops about it. So she t- she steals evidence. Yes. And there's a scene where she gives the cop a ride back to the jail because there's too many robbers in the cop car and he can't fit. And she like takes pains to hide the clock from him. Uh, and she also was like, hey, could you never tell the Toppums that I was in their house when it was being robbed? Could you like never tell them that, please? That'd be great. If you never mentioned that I help you catch these robbers, that'd be great. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So that part... Nancy, Nancy Drew is the poison tree that they talk about, <laughs> I think. Uh, she does find in the clock the notebook. The notebook leads to a safety deposit box that has the will, and yes... Uh, it works out for the people who are not the Toppums, and Nancy is very happy about what happened. Um, wasn't it funny to watch their faces when they learned they were cut off without a cent? Nancy says. Her dad later informs her that uh, they have to sell their house, and they're moving into a smaller house, and they're losing all their social standing. Um, so... I mean, I mean, I f- <laughs> I'm yeah, fine with it. I'm kind of fine with it. The yeah. book has done a pretty good job of convincing me that they deserve it, but yeah, apparently that's not part of the the later Nancy that people wanted to hang out with. I don't know right. why. Yeah, and then you get a little teaser at the end um, where she's like, "All I want is this. All I want for my reward is to keep this clock as a as a keepsake of my adventure." And then the narrator is like, kind of little did she know that she would be having more adventures you know, in the next volume of this. Tune in next time for The Hidden Staircase with Nancy Drew. I gotta imagine that Stratemeyer came up with the names way before he came up with any of the additional plot <laughs> uh-huh, details. Uh-huh. Yeah, this one's about an old clock. This one's about a hidden <laughs> staircase. This one's about an 
angry dog. <laughs> just walking around his house. The secret of the just old like combine the slapping together adjectives yes. and nouns until he's got a successful children's mystery series. Uh huh. Uh-huh. In um, fact, what were the? Let me see what. You're just gonna the, read some titles. I, yeah, I just want to see what the original titles for the old Nancy Drew books were, so that I can test my theory about. It doesn't about uh, the the random adjectives. Yeah, uh, the bungalow mystery. Yep. Secret of Shadow Ranch, Secret of Reggae Farm. <laughs> the clue in Those the are diary. Just okay, yeah, Nancy's Mysterious Letter. Twisted Candles, Broken Locket, Hollow Oak, Ivory Charm, Whispering Statue, Haunted Bridge, Tapping Heels, Brassbound Trunk. Yeah, this is exactly what's happening. It's just yeah. like, come up with the adjective and the noun first, and then you come up with the story later. Yep, it sounds good to me. Crumbling Wall, Old Album, Blackwood Hall, Leaning Chimney. Wooden Ski lady, jump. black keys. What did the black keys do? Hmm. They're howling they, for you. The mystery is is how they do such good music. <laughs> so, do you think this sounds like it was a mystery, Andrew? Based on what I've told you here today, I mean, kind of. That's not like a hard mystery. Yeah. No, she. Yeah, there wasn't. What what it didn't, but it's have? also but if you but if you come in expecting a puzzle box and you don't get a puzzle box, you're like, where's my puzzle box? Yeah, right? I guess, and that's just my own expectations as a reader, not knowing what I was maybe in for, and maybe other books do this. I was sort of expecting um, suspects, culprits, and red herrings, and instead, I got uh, a lot of questioning, a lot of um, kind of argument building and then an action sequence so it kind of felt like a little bit more like a phoenix right i suppose where like i we knew who the we knew who the bad guys were from the very beginning but they weren't actually up to anything we just needed to stop them from getting rich yeah like a phoenix right game would have an equal number of like confessions upon yes pressure Uh uh-huh but they also do have lying in Phoenix, right? They do have lying. Maybe Nancy Drew didn't unlock lying yet. Um, I made a list of like Nancy is she is super capable. Nancy is super capable. She's very she gets very fixated on this case. She's very determined, as I said. Um, she has that basic sense of decency, which is going to make her defend these Horner girls and take down the Toppums. But she also has that. Kind of, this I flagged that kind of Holmesian. I'm entitled to be involved in these people's affairs because yeah. I'm such a smart crime solver. I'm smart, and I'm, I'm theoretically working for their benefit, so yes. I can do what I want. Um, she is waspy. You know, we talked about this a little bit. Um, she has her own car. She has the means to be doing this, um, but she does kind of fulfill that like invincible, independent teen fantasy where you're like. I'm just going to go do what I want. If I want to solve mysteries and drive my car through corn, I will. Like, I'm a, I'm a teen. I can do whatever. I don't need a job. I don't need to go to school. People with resources have done much worse things with yeah. the resources that they inherited. I'll just, I'll leave my thoughts on Nancy Drew at that, I think. Okay. That's fine. I mean, you, you can have other thoughts no, that's- <laughs> if you want to have them. <laughs> The real mystery to me is can in this book is can she stick with it long enough to see it through? 
that's like, is she going to give up or is she just going to keep pushing? That that does speak to how low the stakes are for her personally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like even Encyclopedia Brown had his reputation as a walking encyclopedia to To defend. Yeah. Yeah, At this stage in the game and, and, you know, maybe as it is presented as like the first time that she really gets involved this way. So like maybe as she makes a name for herself. And also she doesn't have any compatriots who are, who are working with her. So like there's no one else in danger. There's no one else who stands to lose anything um, that she's she doesn't working with. doesn't have like with. a nerdy sidekick who's like good at computers. No. Bad at people skills. No. Right. Not that yet seems anyway. like an easy addition for yeah. later. I feel like that's going to happen. Anyway, that's Nancy Drew. That's it. Mystery solved. Mystery solved. Old clocks. Hide stuff in them. Or don't call call your book the secret of the old clock. I know where the secret's gonna be. It's gonna be in the old clock. <laughs> Send us an email with your favorite Nancy Drew title. Your favorite place to hide your secret will, <laughs> and also your favorite place to talk out loud about your secret second will. <laughs> Send it to overduepod at Gmail. Preferably in front of witnesses. Overduepod at Gmail dot com. Uh, hit us up on Facebook and Twitter at OverduePod. Thanks to Jonathan, Lee, Lindsay, uh, Ayane, Lexi, Terrence, Max, Kate, Nora, and more for reaching out in the past week. Thanks to Nick Larangis, who composed our theme song. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? OverduePodcast.com. Up there, we have links to the books that we've read and some other ones, too. <laughs> We have links to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, our RSS feed. I don't even think it's called Google Play anymore. Google Podcasts is mostly dead yeah. from, from everything I hear, but we have a link. We're also on Spotify and Stitcher. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash pod. Get bonus episodes early. Get our long, our long read project about Don Quixote early. All kinds of stuff. Next week, we are doing another one of our classic Choose Your Own Adventure episodes on Moon Quest by Anson Montgomery. We've recorded that one already, and we did have a lot of fun. Yeah. Tune in. Yeah. I, That's all I got to say. I can't. If I start talking about Moon Quest, I'm going to be going for five more minutes. So just <laughs> go listen to Moon Quest. For next week, I guess. Uh, go back and uh, listen to um, the next two episodes of our Don Quixote series, Jackie Little Mill. It's on the main feed. Go listen, please. Cool, cool, cool. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Until we talk to you next week, half of us from a new house. Probably. Try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.